We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Monday, November 29th, 2021. This is the Guy Benson Show live from New York City today. Glad to have you here. I'm Guy Benson, your host, Fox News contributor. In fact, I'll be on Gutfeld tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern Time Fox News Channel. Also political editor at townhall.com and host of this fine program every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern and around the clock on demand at Guy Benson Show. Com, where the podcast is always free. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. We encourage you to go there for all of your program needs. GuyBensonShow.com. Here's the lineup today. Dr. Manny Alvarez. We want to get to this new variant. Omicron. Omnicron, I think is what Biden was calling it today. They skipped over a few of the other potential right Greek alphabet letters to describe this one was new and they were thinking people could get confused with new that makes sense to me the next one is xi which is how you spell she as in chairman she from the chinese communist party so they skipped that one for obviously political reasons the she variant that might anger communist china so the world health organization said oh, we're not going to do that because they're in the pocket of beijing so it's omicron which sounds like some sort of superhero villain. We have the new variant. How worried should we be? We will talk to Dr. Alvarez later this hour. I also have some thoughts in the opening monologue coming up here in mere moments. Juan Williams in the next hour, he'll be here. White House with some interesting spin today on the travel bans for Africa. I thought travel bans were xenophobic and racist. I guess that's when Donald Trump imposes them, not when Joe Biden does. Spin pretty weak from circle back Jen Psaki earlier. We'll play some of that audio and get Juan's reaction. Molly Hemingway will also be here in our final hour. A lot to get to with her, including the whole concept of misinformation. We want to delve into that. Molly has some strong thoughts. Looking forward to that conversation upcoming. Fox News alert as we... Begin the program today. The COVID case count in the United States, 48.1 million and counting. The real number is much higher. As of now, there are no known or confirmed Omicron variant cases in the United States. If I had to bet, would I guess that there might be some here already? Yeah. Often the virus or the variant is here before it gets detected. And by the time you take action, it's sort of too late. But I think slowing the possibility of that spread probably makes sense. 
But overall, the case count, 48.1 million. Multiply that several times out. That's closer to the real number. The death toll in the United States, Americans who have died with or of COVID over the last 20 months, 777,417. The Dow is currently up 302 points, recovering some of that, I would say, panicked sell-off from Friday, where Wall Street acted like a bunch of tween girls, just freaking out. Huge sell-off, uh, huge sell-off rather, and uh, a bit of a recovery so far. It's up 302 points at this hour, currently trading at 35,202. All due respect, by the way, to tween girls, sometimes much more level-headed than the gyrations of Wall Street. So let's talk about Omicron just for a second. I am urging calm and caution. I am strongly against panic. I know that there are people in the media eager for panic. They love this type of high-octane concern. They love spreading it. They love sowing the doubts. There are lots of people in this country who weirdly thrive on fear. It's like they almost enjoy it. Like they get off on the self-righteousness of it, the superiority of it. There's a neurosis there. Some of it is performative. So those people are all like, you know, Freaked out, tearing their hair out, but also, in some cases, seemingly excited about the new possibility of a dangerous variant. I think the actual real-world outcomes that we are seeing so far cut against panic. Cut against, I would say, acute concern. Now, am I going to sit here and confidently tell you we've got nothing to worry about? Everything's totally fine. No, I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to pretend to be one. We have a doctor coming on later this hour. The reality is that some of the big answers to the most important questions about Omicron, we don't really know yet. As soon as this whole mess started to unfold, And I tried to stay away from the news as much as possible over the holiday weekend. I kept an eye on some of it. Got to sort of keep still a finger on the pulse even when I'm off for a couple days in a row. But my initial instinct was I will believe that this is something worthy of a panic if and when there's lots and lots and lots of actual data to justify it. And we do not have anything close to that right now. In fact, in some important respects, we have the opposite. The three questions that immediately came to my mind were this. Number one, is Omicron more transmissible, more contagious than even Delta? So far, the data seems to be mixed on that. Some indications suggest it might be. Others suggest that it might not be. Second question, is it more virulent than previous iterations and variants? Of COVID. To me, that's probably the most important one. Is it more severe? Is it more virulent? So far, again, there are some mixed indications, but mostly the answer would appear to be no, which would be superb, excellent news. 
I'll get into more of that in just a second. And then finally, do the existing vaccines work against Omicron? And again, the answer is unclear. And we may not know for a while. South Africa and parts of Africa seem to be ground zero for this variant. It is the least vaccinated continent, right, where people live on Earth. Our vaccine rates in the United States are much, much higher than even South Africa's, which is the most vaccinated, most heavily vaccinated country on the continent. So that's part of what's at play here. They have a lot fewer vaccinated people in South Africa. They also have a younger population, which is good news vis-a-vis this virus. Younger people tend to do better. People in the danger zone, especially unvaccinated people in the danger zone, tend to be older, right? Especially senior citizens in that age range. So on those three threshold questions, right? Those are the three big fundamental questions I have about whether we should be freaking out at all about this variant. And across the board, the answer at this stage is we don't know, but we aren't completely flying blind. Now, there are experts who believe that in South Africa, this variant has been circulating for weeks or even months, which would suggest maybe the transmissibility is not as problematic as Delta, for example, because there has not been, to our knowledge, a huge, massive spread in South Africa and beyond where it's really becoming a problem. On the virulence question, there has not been a big uptick in hospitalizations. Weeks into this, we think, which is good news. Now, in the sort of ground zero region, the province of South Africa, there has now been an uptick in hospitalizations. However, they are still not treating nearly as many severe cases of COVID as they have in previous waves. So that's also a little bit of mixed news. But overall, I think net net, that's good news. And the vaccines, again, we don't know yet. And. This is a a pretty unvaccinated continent. So we'll see. I see here in the United States, the NIH director, he came out and said he thinks that there's probably at least some protection. The New York Times had a story that some experts are worried maybe it's diminished protection, including natural immunity may not work as well. Like if if you've recovered from COVID already, could this be different enough, this variant, that you might get it again? There's been some reinfections of people who already had COVID in South Africa. Again, there are a lot of question marks. But I want to emphasize the good news so far while underscoring that we don't have important answers yet. And again, if this was going to be really dire and a huge problem, I think some of the answers based on results, reality on the ground in South Africa and elsewhere would be a lot scarier than they are right now. Now, maybe everything will hit like a ton of bricks in a couple weeks' time. Maybe. But this didn't crop up overnight. And the fact that they're not getting hammered, I think, overall, as a layman, based on our experience for the last year and a half plus, I think that's good news. I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. Out of Israel, for example, the head of the coronavirus department at a major hospital in Israel 
said preliminary reports on the clinical condition of the people in Israel that are affected with the new variant are encouraging. Quote, if it continues this way, this might be a relatively mild illness compared to the Delta variant. And paradoxically, if it takes over, as in if it becomes the dominant variant, it will lead to fewer infection rates, lower infection rates, end quote. That's a top doctor in Israel. Then you have Dr. Angelique Coetzee. She's being talked about as the South African doctor. She is, in fact, the chair of the South African Medical Association. She was the one who discovered, identified this variant. She's been giving interview after interview, tamping down fears based on what she is seeing in these patients. I think this is really important. And again, on the spectrum here, I put this in the good news category. Listen to this doctor, this high-ranking doctor in South Africa, cut 14. Looking at the mildness of the symptoms that we are seeing, currently there is no reason for panicking as we don't see severely ill patients. I also checked with the hospital, some of the hospitals in my area, and one of the biggest hospitals, they only have one patient currently that's COVID positive on a ventilator, and they don't even know whether it's COVID, uh, you know, it's Delta or whether it is um, Omicron related. We acknowledge that it might change going forward. But the hype that's been created currently out there in the media and worldwide doesn't correlate with the clinical picture. Um, and it doesn't warrant to just cut us off from any traveling and ban South Africa as if we are the villains in the whole process. It should not be like that. They got a wild accent down there, by the way. Like, what are you, what are you listening to? The South African accent. It's kind of cool. So there's the doctor. Looking at the mildness of the symptoms, there's no reason for panicking. We don't see severely ill patients. That's her quote. The hype that's been created out there in the media and worldwide doesn't correlate with the clinical picture. That's what she said. Those are her words based on the patients that she has encountered. Mild symptoms. On one hand, it's younger people, so that's not surprising. On the other hand, it's in a country where there's a lot less vaccinated people. So the lack of a bunch of severe cases and lower hospitalizations than they've had in previous waves, to me, you add that up, that is quite hopeful. So I don't want to come on the air here today and make definitive declarative statements about what this is or what this isn't with the new variant. I will repeat that I'm not an expert and we'll get a doctor in here coming up in just two segments. However, I have eyes and ears. I have 20 months worth, as you all do too, of experience. And some of the red flags that would be flapping in the breeze here about a really problematic new variant that could do massive new damage, based on the reports that we are hearing from doctors in these effective countries, affected countries, those red flags aren't billowing. I'm not even sure that they're even up the flagpole right now. Which is not to say that everything's fine, we're out of the woods, don't worry about this thing. It is to say that some of the panic and the way this is being covered so far, I think, is divorced from what we actually know.
And Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who we respect here, he was on CBS yesterday. He said, so far, no indication that this variant is more virulent. He said, we'll see if there is reduced vaccine protection. Again, open question. And he said, we don't know if the new variant has increased transmissibility. So that's a lot of question marks with initial data tipping me in the optimistic direction and against the panic that some people are cultivating aggressively for various reasons. So that is my opening message to you in a brand new broadcast week here on The Guy Benson Show. I want to play you some audio from Dr. Fauci upcoming. We'll get Dr. Manny's take upcoming as well. Stay with us. Stay tuned. We're just getting started. The Guy Benson Show. More next. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. All I want to do is save people's lives. I mean, anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. It's the Guy Benson Show. We're back. The voice of Dr. Anthony Fauci doing one of his endless television interviews. This time on Face the Nation, where he was reprising his I am science shtick. You criticize me. You're not really criticizing me. You're attacking science itself. It is so arrogant. Now, that might be true for some people, but this would be this like bulletproof excuse that would make him beyond criticism, beyond reproach. You can't question him because then you're questioning science and heaven forbid you do that. So he wraps himself in this like cloak of science to defend himself and ward off any questions as illegitimate. It's so demagogic. It's so political. They're really criticizing science because I represent science. Really? What about when you, sir, told admittedly a white lie on masks early on? Or you told another white lie that you've admitted to telling about herd immunity. If you criticize those things, are those criticisms of science? What about your incoherent messaging and flip-flopping on a bunch of different things? Undermining vaccine confidence, for example. Is that an attack on science? What about you went to a book party the other day? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And you were putting your mask on and off at random times. You said, well, you put your mask on when you were talking to someone that you didn't know. Like, only strangers have COVID? That's not science. Can we criticize that, doctor? Or is that an attack on science? Such weak stuff from him. He is not helping. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast free every day. Thank you for listening. From New York City, I'm Guy Benson. See you on Gutfeld tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern Fox News. Joining us now is Dr. Manny Alvarez, Fox News contributor, senior health analyst here at the network. Doctor, great to have you back. Hi, Guy. Hi. All right, let's talk about Omicron, the new variant. Uh, You've got a lot of hand-wringing and people starting to get very worried over the weekend. Uh, I just ran through in my opening monologue what we do and do not know. We don't know a lot of things. What we do know so far doesn't seem as alarming as I think some of the coverage might suggest. What are you reading? What are you hearing from your medical colleagues? What are your overall takeaways thus far about Omicron? Well, listen, my takeaway is uh, I've been following the data now for the last 48 to 72 hours, uh, looking at the data coming out of Israel, which really is always ahead on these variants. What we know so far is, yes, we don't know a lot, but we know a couple of things. If you look at the cases in South Africa, it seems to be affecting younger population, less than 40. Okay, so it's a, it tends to transmit among younger population, which socially tends to be more together in, in, in those kinds of uh, you know, scenarios. However, uh, nobody has been hospitalized that we can document as of now with this variant and the, and the description of the symptoms seem to be you know somewhat atypical you know mild fever a lot of body aches recovery in 72 hours or so so it's not the kind of virus so far that is showing the same virulent effect that we had with delta and that speaks volumes to me because uh, it could be that even though you have a mutation, which is about 30 mutations in, in the spike proteins that we're seeing, maybe it's becoming not as strong, more transmissible, like a common cold, but rather not as bad as, let's say, the Delta variant was. We just don't know yet. I think that the vaccine, the data is showing that the vaccine for those folks that have the vaccine and the vaccine is kind of a fresh, you know, in, in, in sense that if you took it more than six months and you got your boosters and you got your antibodies flowing, that you're going to have protection against this variant. But, you know, not a, not a lot of unknowns, but I'm not panicking. Yeah. So it that, that sounds exactly 
on point with what I've been reading, which is it might be more transmissible. We're not sure. It does not thus far seem to be more virulent. In fact, it might be more mild, which I think would be just excellent news for a lot of different reasons. I want to focus on the vaccine part because people are wondering, will the existing vaccines be as effective, ineffective, somewhat effective against the new variant It seems like we don't really know yet because there's a lot of unvaccinated people, especially young people in South Africa. When will we have a better understanding of whether because, you know, the Moderna people are saying we're already working on a a new version of the vaccine, a new booster if we need it uh, against this variant. When will we know if that type of thing will be necessary or if the existing vaccines and natural immunity, you know, work work well what what's the timeline on that what will doctors be looking for when we actually get a, a clearer picture on that yeah I, I think that this coronavirus vaccine is going the same way as the flu vaccine i think that you're going to have coronavirus um as an endemic disease it's just not going to go away completely or ever um it's going to continue to mutate in different variants I think that the COVID vaccine will become a standard recommended annual vaccine uh, like we have for the flu. I think scientists are going to be looking all the time at different mutations, different variants, and they're going to be tweaking vaccine manufacturing, which is very easy to do now that they have, you know, it's, you know. That's what they do with the flu shot, right? Every year they do that with the flu shot. Exactly. And they're going to be predicting uh, variants or, you know, monitoring variants and this and that. But it's going to be those kinds of scenarios that it's going to carry the same kind of natural um, flow as the flu vaccine in the future. I think, you know, this is this is here to stay. And and between the natural immunity, the people that, you know, take natural protections and the, the people that get vaccinated and so on and so forth, it, it's going to be a, a chronic virus disease that we'll have in the planet for years to come. Um, but it should not affect the way that we conduct ourselves moving forward. And, and that's why I always get a little concern about all the you know manipulation of the news and how it affects the flow of americans you know american life yep. you, know, you know a couple hours ago japan just closes border no foreigners coming into japan again you get into this narrative that it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me and it just worsens because people become afraid you know we're entering a season that we need to come out of of, of all this fear i mean the, the fear is killing more people sometimes than the virus yeah and we don't shut down the country or the world for the flu every year even though it does kill a lot of people every year it does not grind our society to a halt in this paralysis that's an endemic virus that is what coronavirus is becoming or has become And as for, I know we can have the debate about the travel restrictions and all of that. There are no confirmed cases that we know of yet in the United States of this particular variant, doctor. But my guess is it's probably here already, right? Am I am I off base? I I think it's yeah. I know. I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, right now uh, it's just a matter of uh, uh, you know of finding it. uh, You know, this viral mutation is easily identifiable. There's nothing new. All the PCR testing can identify it very easily. So we have the technology, and I'm sure it's going to pop up. I just hope the president and this government and Fauci. You know, you could say the facts, but also don't spin it in such a fearful way that it panics the public. That's that, that's my biggest worry. Well, speaking of Fauci, 
Uh, we just played a soundbite from him in the last segment. He gives TV interviews constantly. I, I sort of wonder what else he does with his life or his time. Seems like he's on television uh, more than I am, and I, I work in television. And he's, I guess in this case, he gave an interview to Face the Nation, uh, CBS, and he was firing back at some of his critics, uh, elected Republicans and that sort of thing. And the way, and he's done this before. It's not the first time he's made this argument or this framing, but in Cut 9, he once again insisted that criticism of him is a direct assault on science itself. Listen. So it's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. They're criticizing science because I represent science, and that's dangerous. You're a doctor, sir. What's your reaction when you hear another doctor making statements and arguments like that? Listen, uh, this kind of elitist behavior is what, what, you know, what healthcare has been fighting for the last 15 years. The consensus of science is not based on one person. It's based up among many people, there are a lot of people that contribute to, to the discovery of science, to, to the interpretation of science, scientific data. It takes, you know, it, it takes a lot of people. So when you have one person say, you know, uh, you, you know, it's like going into, into a patient's room and, you, and, and you're trying to say something to a patient and you say, well, you just trust me, I'm the doctor, I know what's best. That is that that kind of behavior is what we teach our medical students not to do, because it is not that even the patient has the right to ask questions. Even the patient has the right to say, I know my own body. Can we think about whether this treatment is the best for me? Right. Like if you had if you had a doc, if you had a patient doctor that you were treating and this patient was asking you questions and even pushing back on something that you'd said or, you know, challenging you in some way. Would it be remotely appropriate for you to look down at that patient in the hospital bed and say, now you listen here, what you're doing is questioning me and therefore you are questioning medicine, right? Is, is that any way to go about this? And, 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 and we have systems in hospitals where I should get reported and we do. You know, we do. If you look, we have reporting systems that patients can say, you know, Dr. Alvarez walked into my room and told me he, he knows what's best for me and I shouldn't ask any questions or even question his authority. We have rules for that in today's uh, healthcare systems. So, you know, he, he represents you know, the, the, the CDC, whatever he works for, I, I, I tend to forget all the time, NIH. Uh, but you know, the NIH, okay. He represents that as a leader, but he doesn't represent science as an absolute power. And I think that just, you know, the, the politics of Fauci are so contaminated that it really doesn't does, you know, it doesn't do any justice for this country whatsoever. Last question, Dr. Alvarez. And I want to ask you something specific that I have encountered in my own life, and I know that this is sort of in your realm of expertise. So leaving names out of it, and I suspect there are plenty of people who are trying to make their way through this this new normal, and we're trying to get out of the pandemic. People are worried about the new variant, etc. So we have a friend who is pregnant. So, you know, she's a pregnant woman. She's invited to a wedding of a very close friend of hers, so are we. The wedding is taking place in a few weeks in a state with pretty low vaccine rates overall. And my friend is worried because there will be 
definitely unvaccinated people at this wedding, uh, perhaps a significant number of unvaccinated people at the wedding. She is pregnant, as I mentioned. She does not want to jeopardize the pregnancy or her child at all. And and this is a little bit specific, but she got the Johnson and Johnson one and done vaccine. And she said, to her knowledge, there has been no real scholarship on getting a booster shot of another vaccine, let's say Pfizer, to get a go, you know, go get a second shot to get topped up where you're mixing and matching vaccines, J&J and another one in the context of a pregnant woman. So in her mind, that's a lot of X factors out there. So she is leaning toward not attending the wedding. I'm not trying to argue with her. I think that the case that she made sounds rational to me. And I would have some of those same exact questions. If I were in her shoes, you deal with pregnant women every day. It's your job. You know a lot about the vaccines and about this virus. If she were to ask you about her situation or other pregnant women who are thinking about traveling or booster shots and they're not quite sure, what would you say to those women in that type of scenario or who might be in sort of a similar position? All right. So we're doing a consultation now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what I would say, what I would say is um, stay home. Uh, the vaccine you got is one of the vaccines that has uh, shown uh, less efficacy uh, of antibody response of all the other vaccines. Uh, if you want to take a booster shot, you can, and you can mix and match. Uh, I think that's reasonable. Um, and, um, you know, but if you don't want to take the booster shot while you're pregnant, then because of the nature of the vaccine you took and maybe the timing and your pregnancy, we know that women are very susceptible to, to COVID. And when they do get it, uh, it's pretty tough. Um, and you don't want to jeopardize your pregnancy. So Zoom the wedding, get the pictures, send presents, and stay home. Yeah, I think that's what she's going to do. I'm going to send her the clip. And I know that she's not alone. There are people, it, it's complicated. And there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of folks don't really know who to trust. I'm generally in the don't be overly cautious category. Don't be stupid. Do smart things, but don't let your life be put on hold. But there are certain exceptions where every person needs to make decisions for themselves in a consultation with a doctor who understands what's happening. So this was not a direct consultation, obviously, but I think that that's useful not just in the on the micro level for women who might be pregnant thinking about these things but the macro level as well every person's circumstance is just a little bit different and that's why it's so important for these conversations to happen between doctors and patients if you have any questions and the last thing that the doctor should say is just trust me because i personify medicine take my word on this tablet it's out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share chiseled in stone now go away and ask no more questions which is sort of the fauci approach which dr manny alvarez had some thoughts on moments ago here on the guy benson show dr manny we always appreciate your time thank you for spending some time with us here today and i'm sure we'll have you back soon thank you sir dr manny alvarez 
a senior health analyst here at Fox News Channel, a contributor and our colleague. It is The Guy Benson Show. We will continue right after this break. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's The Guy Benson Show. So this is interesting. There's a map of the U.S. on transmission, COVID transmission all across the country. And they've got red areas, which are, you know, high, then orange substantial Yellow, moderate, blue is low. And you look at, you know, Michigan, for example, is just bright red right now. Much of the country is bright red, especially north. Unsurprising. Seasonality. There is one state, one state, only one, that is bright blue. Nearly the entire state is blue, low transmission. It's the only area in the country that is consistently blue, low transmission. You know what state that is? Florida. They got brutalized by the Delta wave over the summer, which is their season. We saw it the previous year as well. And despite having the highest vaccine rate of any red state in the country and a very high vaccine rate among seniors, they got hammered. And people were blaming Governor Ron DeSantis for that. Because they blame him for everything, no matter what. And his point was, there are trade-offs. Some of these mitigation measures have not proven to be very effective. We're not going to do a bunch of mandates here in Florida. We're going to try to get people vaccinated. We're going to develop opportunities for people to get treated with antibodies and other things. And we are going to hopefully between vaccines and herd immunity, get past this thing and past our season. And now it is the safest state in the country to be in vis-a-vis COVID. There are fewer than a thousand people hospitalized, uh, hospitalized, I should say, with COVID in the state of Florida for the first time since April 2020. Cases and hospitalizations and deaths have fallen off a cliff in Florida despite, quote-unquote, all of the mandates not existing, right? They don't have masks in schools. They don't have mask mandates. They don't have vaccine mandates. They don't have all these restrictions on businesses. That's not the case in Florida. Now, we're told that those things are all necessary to stop the spread and that the seasonality thing is just a talking point. It's not. It's actual science. So one of the least restricted states in the country now has the best, safest COVID transmission rate in the entire nation, Florida. Because their brutal season is in the rearview mirror when it was hot out and people were going inside, a lot of air conditioning and all that. And now the weather is cold elsewhere. And you're seeing, for example, there are stories about hospitals being overrun or really under pressure in a place like Michigan. Are we going to see Governor Whitmer? blamed for that what about some of the places with a bunch of restrictions that are still getting hit anyway do they get blamed those political leaders does ron DeSantis get credit for the low transmission now is the lesson that the lack of restrictions is what works or does that stuff only flow in one direction blame for ron DeSantis and republicans when things are going badly 
no credit when they're going well, and no blame for the people doing the so-called right thing when things are going badly elsewhere. You know, don't even bother. It's a rhetorical question. You know the answer. So do I. Next hour of The Guy Benson Show on its way. Don't go anywhere. Please stay with us. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A new hour underway here on the Guy Benson Show. You are listening live from the Big Apple, New York City. I arrived last night in a town and there was like a buzz in the air. There were people, there were tourists. I was here last December doing some TV fill-in stuff. It was dead in Midtown, dead. And it felt much more vibrant last night, which was good to see. I hope we get back to our lives. I'm doing the show, The Guy Benson Show here, GuyBensonShow.com, free podcast every day, because I'm in town for Gutfeld. That's tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern. Fox News Channel. Hope to see you there. You can set your DVRs. You can tune in live if you would like. Fox News alert as we kick off the middle hour. The Dow ends the day in the green, up 236 points, closing at 35,135. With us now, Juan Williams, Fox News analyst, columnist at The Hill, author of multiple books, including What the Hell Do You Have to Lose? Juan, welcome back. Boy, that was a good bit of breaking news from Guy Benson. I'm, I was like, my three, I think it was 900 points lost on Friday. So we're, we're, we're getting some of that back. We exactly. We lost ground. And I thought some of it Friday, and I mentioned this in the first hour, was just a ridiculous over-the-top panic based on, at best, incomplete information. We had a doctor on last hour. It's like, hold your horses the data actually isn't looking all that bad. There's a lot of stuff that we don't know, but the, the market was like, sell, sell. And now I guess they're course correcting a little bit. Yeah, I think it was a freak out and unnecessary. But, you know, I, one of the factors here, and it, you spoke of this in passing and talking about your experience last December in New York versus now, is I think we're all so tired. There's just fatigue, guy. Oh, I yeah. Mean, it, just, it just feels like this has been a slog. And the idea that, you know, we would lose ground in terms of combating COVID, it just, it's, it's heartbreaking as we go into the Hanukkah and the Christmas season. It's just heartbreaking. And, you know, the, the reality is that we are better positioned now, and I think people have to keep this in mind. We do have a vaccine that has proven it's worth it. may have to be altered, upgraded, but we have a vaccine. We know about masking. We know about social distancing. Um, and we have, therefore, some tools to deal with this thing. Well, We're and a lot of natural immunity, zero. right? So you've right. got vaccine immunity, you've got natural immunity, you've got all this experience. And I think, to your point on the fatigue, people are just kind of over living on eggshells they've you can only do that to people for so long and the argument forever was you know at first right 15 days and then 30 days to slow the spread then we got to get to the vaccine if you keep telling people oh well the, there might be a new variant and we're not really sh-, i mean people aren't going to just handle that anymore they're not going to stand for it 
And I think if you're vaccinated, if you've got natural immunity, once I did those things, I started living my life basically as normal to the greatest extent humanly possible at this point. I think there's a lot of people in that position right now. Juan, we just got past Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. We had a great Thanksgiving at our house. We'll talk about it in the next hour. Are you a big Thanksgiving guy? Are you more of a Christmas guy? I think I'm more of a Christmas guy, but let me just tell you, I went to a dinner party in Washington on Saturday night, and it was at the home of the man who runs Gallup. And he said to me in the middle of the dinner, what is America's favorite holiday? And because as I've just disclosed to you, I'm a Christmas guy. I said Christmas. He said, no, Thanksgiving. No way. Yes, he did. I did not know that. See, I thought I was like this brave truth teller about the amazingness of Thanksgiving. But apparently I just have like – I just have a basic opinion shared by most Americans. But I'm glad. You're a good antenna. That's what it is. Uh, yes, exactly. I say uh, finger on the pulse. That's what we have here at the Guy Benson Show. Now, I, I want to ask you one more question, non-politics, before we get to politics. As a Washington Nationals fan, are you concerned about the wheeling and dealing and just prodigious spending of division rival the New York Mets over the last couple of days? I mean, they are just, I mean, they are breaking the bank and really going for it. Well, they broke my heart. Uh, if, if the reports are true that Max Scherzer is going to yeah. play for the New York Mets, yeah, what I mean, Max, there's a mural of Max Scherzer with his brown eye, blue eye self on the wall out in Nats Park. I mean, you look up and there's Max Scherzer. That's how much you know. For me, as a Nats fan, he is held in iconic status. Well, they might have to paint over the mural. I guess so. I don't, I mean, you know, it just hurts. You know, this is the thing about, now, Guy, you're so much younger, you're going to start snickering. But for me, I understand that this is a business, just like all sports is a business. But for me as the fan, I think, why is my favorite player going to play for those guys? Yep. Why does this happen? No, that's of fair. The answer is money, right? It, well, I, it's like I'm hearing $43 million a year. You know, I love my job, Juan. If someone offered me $43 million a year to go do another job, I would think about it. With all due respect to everyone here, right? Like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but but I think the counterpoint, and I'll just and – I'll, and I'll make the counterpoint from the emotional fan perspective. If you have a fan favorite and you have a fan base that has loved this player for, you know, most if not all of their career, and they're going to make – a huge amount of money regardless. You might say, what's the difference between $30 million a year and $43 million? Well, the answer is $13 million a year. But, like, you're you're set for life. Your family's set for life. Your kids are set for life. Their kids are set for life. No matter where you go, is it worth the extra money to bum out the fans that have been so loyal to you? Is it worth the cash? And every player has to decide that for himself. And it's sounding like Max Scherzer, Max Scherzer has made that decision for himself. Can't really blame him, but I understand where you're coming from, too. Man, I tell you, they would have built a statue to him outside of Nats Park. You know, I mean, think of Cal Ripken with the Orioles. Never played for any other team. I mean, it's getting to be there's so few players. You know, LeBron James went, Where I don't remember where he started, but I know he was in Cleveland. That He won a championship there. Cleveland, then but Miami, then back to, Miami. to L.A. Yeah. Um, yeah, I you know, I just think if you're a little guy, if you're a little kid and you think that's my hero, I root for him or her, 
This is just like, what is going on? Max Scherzer in a Mets uniform? Yeah, and maybe maybe the statue will be at City Field, not no, at Nats no, Park. No, please stop. stop. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I've tortured you enough, Juan. Uh, so let's <laughs> let's do another kind of torture and talk about politics. I want to ask you about this. Uh, President Biden spoke today about this Omicron variant, and he was saying, you know, we're concerned. It's reason to be concerned. Let's not panic. I had a few other things to say. One of the questions and answers was this exchange here in Cut 19. Listen. Are you calling on state and local officials to reinstate mask mandates? Uh, With regard to the last question, the answer is uh, I uh, I encourage everyone to uh, wear a mask when they're indoors in a crowded circumstance like we are right now. Okay, so the question was, if he was encouraging officials to reimpose mandates, he didn't really answer that. He did say that he encourages people to wear a mask on inside uh, when they're in a crowded spot. Okay, fine. I'm not a fan of mask mandates, especially for vaccinated people at this point, especially for children. I've made that point a thousand times. Here's my question for you. He just spent Thanksgiving, the president and his family spent Thanksgiving up in Nantucket. And there was this now very famous image of him shopping at a crowded local store on Nantucket. The camera zooms in and on the front door, there's a masks required sign. And then right inside, illuminated in the light, is President Biden not wearing a mask. Now, the man is triple vaxxed, right? He's got his booster shot. I don't have a problem with him not wearing a mask under those circumstances. However, he was in a business where they require masks and he wasn't wearing it. Now he's encouraging people to wear masks indoors when they're in those types of positions, even though he just didn't. Then he was photographed at the White House with his advisors sitting in the Oval Office. They're all wearing masks, even though he wasn't the other day. It just feels to me sometimes like theater and incoherent theater, where it's like, okay, when do these things apply? When do they not apply? People encourage or mandate things and they you know violate their own rules when you talked about the fatigue when we first started one do you think that this sort of thing feeds into that fatigue where people tune out the political leaders because they don't really believe them no i think they tune out all the pundits especially on the right who want to call hypocrisy and say this is you know rank uh inconsistency on the part of people who are calling for mask mandates. Look, I am someone who believes in wearing a mask if I'm in a crowded situation, but I go to baseball games, as you know, I go to basketball games, and if I'm sitting there eating something, you're allowed to take off the mask. Recently in the District of Columbia, the mask mandate was done away with, so I don't even have to put it back on, but my wife encourages me. And the fact is, You can take a picture and say, hey, Juan Williams was at the basketball or baseball game and he didn't have the mask on. And they say, oh, it's a big deal. It's not. Look, the point is public policy. Do we know that mask wearing is, in fact, a good step to protect yourself from getting the virus? Yes, we do. Well, it's it's mixed. It's certain kinds of masks work well. Others not so well. It works better for certain adults. There's not a lot of data on kids. But like I'll, I'll grant the point. Masks in certain circumstances for certain people certainly are better than not wearing masks when it comes to transmission. That's fine. I think the issue, though, one does come down to some of the hypocrisy. Again, I have no problem with Joe Biden going maskless. He's got two shots plus the booster, right? He's inside. The The business has a sign asking you to wear masks. 
He's asking other Americans to wear masks, and then he's on camera not wearing a mask, and then next time he's on camera, he is wearing a mask. I feel like that is confusing. A lot of people say they don't really even believe it themselves. Right? That I think that there's something to that. I think that he is a role model as president. You should say you can say the role model should be consistent, but we've been through this media dance in the right wing echo chamber with Nancy Pelosi, with Gavin Newsom. Yeah. With, with the mayor of the District of Columbia. These you know, are fair points. People are going to be sometimes without the mask when they should be with the mask. That's just all of us. All of us. Left wing, right wing, up and down. President Trump didn't want to wear a mask. What is that? That's beyond hypocrisy. That's just bad public policy at a time when we should be acting as a community to protect ourselves, to keep our schools open, to keep our economy pumping. We see how fragile that can be in response to the virus. That, to me, is what we should be doing, Guy. We shouldn't be just sitting here looking for petty points to score. I don't I don't think hypocrisy and inconsistency is petty. I think some of the stuff can be petty. I just think public policy needs to have meaning and people need to buy into it. And if you're in a position of telling other people what to do or mandating what they should do and then you don't do it yourself, I think you are wide open to fair criticism. One more soundbite for you, Juan, before we let you go. Jen Psaki at the podium today was asked a question by our colleague Peter Ducey about the travel ban in Africa, the new variant. Cut 22. Before Joe Biden was president, he said that COVID travel restrictions on foreign countries were hysterical xenophobia and fear-mongering. So what changed? Well, I would say first, to put it in full context, Peter, what the president was critical of was the way that the former president put out, I believe, a xenophobic tweet uh, and how he called that, what he called the coronavirus uh, and, and who he directed it at. The president has not been critical of re- travel restrictions. We have put those in place ourselves. We put them in place ourselves in the spring. But no, he does not believe. He believes we should uh, follow the advice of health and medical experts. That's exactly what he did in putting in place these restrictions over the weekend. Now, Juan, in my view, that's revisionism. I'll explain why. Then you can respond The day that President Trump imposed the China travel ban, he was attacked by multiple Democrats, including Joe Biden, who called it xenophobic that day in a speech. He doubled down in a tweet the next day, calling it xenophobic. He wrote an op-ed in USA Today talking about reactionary travel bans, and it took him months to get around to admitting that actually he was in favor of the China travel ban. That was not how it was greeted on the left when Trump first put the travel ban and restrictions into place with China. Here are new travel restrictions only involving African countries. Isn't it okay for the White House to just say some of the criticism of the previous president was premature and wrong? We came around to the position that the China travel ban was the right thing to do. And based on medical evidence, we think it's the right thing to do here. Like, they don't have to pretend that they didn't do something that they did back then to justify what they're doing now. That's my view. I'll give you the last word, one. Well, I think that you're right on this. I think that if you call somebody xenophobic and then you pursue the same path, you open yourself up for a big right-hand punch to the nose. I will say that the President Trump, he didn't impose it exactly, you know, around the time that things got going. That was when he was praising China and all the rest and said this thing was not going to last very long. But I think that he's uh, President Biden is right for criticism on this because he was pretty clear. I don't know about the tweet. I forget what the tweet is that Jen, uh, Jen Psaki is referring to that came from President Trump. But 
you know, I think that small ball, I think the larger point is if you criticize something and then do it yourself, get ready for the other team to score points. Yep, I think that that's fair. We'll agree on that note. Juan Williams, Fox News analyst, columnist at The Hill, author of multiple books, most recently, What the Hell Do You Have to Lose? Juan, great having you here. We'll have you back hopefully before Christmas. Enjoy. Good to be with you, Guy. It's The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Just a few quick things to note. Some stories that we're following here. Remember Jussie Smollett or Juicy Smollett? as Dave Chappelle would call him. By the way, Chappelle was fun. I went last week, and I wasn't on the air afterwards. The Chappelle experience was fun. I did not know that Roastmaster Jeffrey Ross was going to be there. He was. So there was musical guests that were not my thing. The film was pretty cool. The comedy was the best part. Jeffrey Ross roasted audience members. They he, they volunteered. They came up Amazing. One guy, big, heavyset black guy, came up, and he was sort of interviewing them. And this guy was so lovely. He won the whole crowd over. He was talking about, like, the holiday spirit, and we got to stick together and how we got to love each other. And everyone's, like, cheering this guy. And Jeffrey Ross is, and Jeffrey Ross called it a sermon from Dr. Martin Luther Burger King is what he called it. And the place lost it. I was not ready. I was not prepared mentally or emotionally for Jeffrey Ross, hilarious. Well, now I've just totally gone on a tangent on the Chappelle show from last week in D.C. In any case, the Jussie Smollett, Jussie Smollett, Juicy Smollett trial in Chicago, they're just starting uh, the jury selection process for that apparently faked hoax of a so-called hate crime. He got off with that ridiculous deal. Not so fast. It's going to trial. I hope they have him testify. What a disaster he would be on the stand. He deserves all of it. Also, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial now underway. A lot of people watching that. Keep that woman alive, please. After what happened to her uh, friend and co-conspirator, Jeffrey Epstein. And last but not least, some incriminating text messages emerging from Chris Cuomo of CNN. He was much more involved in trying to help his brother and maneuver behind the scenes, right? He said, oh, I wasn't really advising my brother that much. These texts, as released by the investigators, would suggest very much otherwise, including apparently snooping around trying to get info on Ronan Farrow's reporting on this subject. Not looking ethically great for Chris Cuomo. We'll have Howie Kurtz tomorrow on that story. Stay tuned. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back on the Guy Benson Show, halfway through today's edition of the program. Thank you very much for listening. I want to address something that we talked about last week with Jesse Waters. So this was already a theme days ago. 
and the theme has only entrenched itself. Jesse and I had a long back and forth about a number of issues surrounding the Rittenhouse trial, the Waukesha massacre, the media, our cultural drivers, right? pop culture influencers. That clip, by the way, on YouTube, on the Fox News YouTube account, over 1.7 million views. So thank you for that. It's pretty exciting. But Jesse and I were making the point that the Waukesha Christmas Parade Massacre kind of just disappeared off of the map as a national news story within a matter of not even days. It felt almost like hours. We are eight days out from that happening. It was last Sunday. And when it happened, all over the place, social media, people were talking about it. What happened? Who did this? Why? All of the usual suspects, both sides of the aisle, were just, you could just tell, revving themselves up, itching to blame this on their political enemies, their political adversaries. But there wasn't enough information yet to really do that. So some people kind of got out in front of the hot takes and made a few accusations, but a lot of people were just sort of waiting with bated breath. Okay, who did this? How did it happen? And let's hope it's our side that can blame the other side. It's actually a real sickness in our political discourse these days that people just kind of are on pins and needles during tragedies to wait to, you know, drop rhetorical bombs on their ideological opponents. Like that's almost like the first thing that comes to mind. But once that information started to be revealed, so this was not a shooter, a man with a gun. This was not a white guy in particular with a gun. That was not the narrative. In fact, it was a black suspect with a very long criminal history who got out on a very low bail. I mean, the news got worse and worse in terms of a law enforcement perspective, why this guy was out on the street in the first place. Daryl Brooks is his name, by the way. Could you summon that name off the top of your head? I had to look it up earlier. I had seen the mugshot. We had it on Fox. It was virtually non-existent elsewhere. Other news organizations covered it, but sort of box-checking, perfunctory coverage once they realized, oh, wait, the narrative that we like, because the media is overwhelmingly populated with leftists, from traditional liberals to left-wing activists, that is the milieu in newsrooms. So they realized, okay, the type of person and the type of weapon we would like to attack, well, those things don't really apply here. And this might vindicate, right, the actual fact pattern might vindicate bad people, the wrong sorts of people. There's a larger truth and a bigger narrative to serve. And therefore, what would have been, you know it and I know it, what would have been a massive wall-to-wall national news story under different circumstances, a la Charlottesville, right? The death toll here is six as opposed to one in Charlottesville. I'm not saying Charlottesville was not a national news story deserving of a lot of attention. It was. But if we're looking at death toll alone, this should at least be as significant, especially if there's a political angle. There's a, oh, there's a racial angle potentially to this one. Oh, wait, nope, not the right one. And so it's gone. And it was so obvious, and I mentioned this to Jesse, it was so flagrant that the media dropped this thing like a hot potato, 
right? They would have clung to it for ratings, gold, and outrage stoking and narrative fueling for days or weeks on end under other circumstances. But as we've addressed, that was not the case. And so what was perhaps going to be an explosion of coverage just became almost like a controlled detonation, just a little trickle, a local tragedy and fascination. And as I said, and I was beginning to say with Jesse, I said, I've heard from a couple different center-left friends, one of whom is quite liberal, who reached out to me proactively, independently. I've now had a third. Three different left-leaning friends have sent me text messages, and I actually screenshotted a few of them, leaving their identities out because a few of them work in realms where wrong think can go badly for them. I don't want them to have any sort of you know repercussions in their careers because we know how the left goes and how the outrage mob works. But they were like, wow, one of them said explicitly, this is, quote, so, so bleeped up. The fact that the press basically abandoned this as a national story. It was that in your face. So I tweeted about this yesterday because someone else at Red State had tweeted, there are children still in critical condition from the Waukesha attack after six people were already murdered. And the media are just done. No investigation into his background. No search for a motive. No panel segments speculating on his racist views. They are just done. That was a red state writer who tweeted that. I responded, three left-leaning friends have independently texted me about this vanishing national story. They understand what's happening, but can't quite bring themselves to flat out say it. It's, quote, bleeped up, one wrote. To concede they now better understand conservatives' media complaints. Because my response to these guys was like, yeah, welcome to our world. The media does this kind of thing, not just getting things wrong and spreading misinformation. It's also not covering things or downplaying certain things while playing up others. Right? How many news cycles did we have about that anime meme from that jerk congressman in Arizona with AOC, which I did not defend. It was inexcusable, indefensible. But we had so many news cycles about that and a censure vote in the house and that was all covered breathlessly this is six people murdered and there has been muted coverage basic coverage at best so a few people on the left came after being like oh these lefty friends of yours you're inventing this you made this up one guy's like oh yeah is this your hot girlfriend who lives in canada your secret canadian girlfriend like, well, I don't have a secret girlfriend. I promise you that. But I anticipated being called a liar. Couldn't be possible that some liberals would notice how corrupt the media coverage or lack thereof is here and just reaching out to me to say, wow, we see this. We recognize why so many of you guys are frustrated with the media. This is glaring. So I had the screenshots ready to rebut that. Rejoinder, which I was prepared for. I was also prepared for the other one, which is what they always do, which is say, no, no, look, here's a story that was written about it. Here's a link to NBC News. Here's how the New York Times covered it. This was not a blackout. You're lying. You're making you're just dreaming this up for your narrative. And it's you that's wearing the blinders. This is classic gaslighting. The allegation is not that they had a blanket do not cover Order go out like they did, for example, with uh, 
Hunter Biden's laptop. We'll get to that later with Molly Hemingway upcoming. This was, okay, we all got very amped up about this story. Then the details didn't pan out the way we wanted them to. And therefore, we're going to check some boxes. We're going to do the requisite minimal coverage to say that we covered it. In fact, to respond precisely to this type of critique. And then they can cite that when the real point is the downplaying. Right? It is the tamping down of the tone, the tenor, the amplification of the story. That is the point here. As I wrote at townhall.com today, minimal or perfunctory coverage does not debunk that point. It is the point. This is the form of insidious bias that I'm talking about. Gerald Beer, who follows the media and often holds them accountable on social media, he responded to my tweet from yesterday with this. The latest stories from the New York Times and Washington Post on the Waukesha massacre are at least four days old. And then he has screenshots of the Google results. These are the two leading newspapers in the country, right? When they decide something is big national news, they cover it. When they decide something is a local news story, not worthy of coverage, like Kermit Gosnell, for example, that abortion doctor, remember that whole story? Washington Post just dropped it. And when they were called on it, the reporter said, oh, that's a local news story. This is how they work. So the Times and the Post, based on this research, effectively just moved on days ago from a story. A child died in the interim. The suspect, Daryl Brooks, appeared in court. More information came out about this guy's history, and the national press was just strangely incurious. Isn't that odd? A.G. Hamilton on Twitter, who's another media critic who I think does a very good job keeping track of what the press does and doesn't do, he asked this question yesterday. Did any of the Sunday shows cover the Waukesha attack? The weight has mostly disappeared from the news because it doesn't fit the narrative the press likes to talk about is rather disturbing. So he then went back and looked. It was briefly mentioned on Meet the Press as part of a panel discussion in a larger context. It was not a major topic on any of the main shows, the Sunday news shows. This was less than a week later. The massacre happened last Sunday night. A week later, it was barely mentioned at all on any of them a minor curiosity and then there's this other angle to this where a lot of these outlets strangely keep writing headlines as if the car drove itself into all of those people six dead dozens injured people still in critical condition cnn headline Waukesha will hold a moment of silence today, marking one week since a car drove through a city Christmas parade, killing six people and injuring scores of others. A car drove through. Was it one of those self-driving cars? Is that what happened? Just uh, the technology went awry? This one was worse than the Washington Post. Here's what we know so far on the sequence of events that led to the Waukesha tragedy caused by an SUV. That's days old at this point. Caused by an SUV. No. A car didn't drive through a Christmas parade. A criminal did. Who was out on bail for a previous crime involving running someone over with his car. 
who had posted a lot of incendiary stuff on social media, some of it racial, who has a rap sheet from floor to ceiling, dating back decades, registered sex offender, violent crime, strangulation, the list goes on. He gets out on $1,000 bail, is involved allegedly in some other crime. We still don't have everything lined up yet in terms of the timeline. And a lot of the national reporters are sort of like, wait, Daryl who? A car didn't drive through. A criminal driving the car, weaponizing the car, deliberately, according to eyewitnesses, crashing into people and knowing them down. That's who did it. And it's not a tragedy, quote, caused by an SUV. It was caused by a person. It was a massacre caused by a person, not a tragedy caused by an SUV. But that was the Washington Post framing days ago before they apparently just dropped it altogether. This weird whitewashing where the agency of a human being is just kind of sapped out of the framing. They'd say, oh, well, at the link we mentioned, people often don't click the link. People see headlines. I mean, to me, it is crystal clear what was going on here. This is not all a series of accidents and weird coincidences. This is the mind meld hive mind of a left wing media that has capital L, capital T, larger truths to protect and defend. And if that means getting the facts wrong to create a fake narrative, as they did, for example, with Rittenhouse, or ignoring actual facts and truths because it represents some sort of an affront to their narrative, they will do any or all of the above because they are ideologues committed to an ideological project. And they are not out here just to report journalism. We are way past that in a lot of ways. And to pretend like that's not happening in this case is gaslighting so pathetic and so obvious that even many of my Democratic friends see right through it. It's that clear, you guys. But they'll all sit around and wring their hands about misinformation. Again, we will talk about that with Molly Hemingway coming up here. They'll go out to some journalism, egghead, high-minded conference in Aspen to wonder why their approval ratings and why their trust levels are so low and why so many people are susceptible to right-wing misinformation. There's just no clue, very little self-reflection ever. And they've made this bed for themselves. The Guy Benson Show continues. Another story that the press is clearly uncomfortable talking about. We will bring it to you next. Stay with us. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the Guy Benson Show. Coming up in our final hour, the happy hour, Molly Hemingway will join us. We were talking last week about this spree of organized looting happening in San Francisco and Los Angeles and elsewhere. We were scolded by experts not to use the term looting for racial reasons, which is crazy. And over the long weekend, wouldn't you know it, more mass looting in Chicago, in Minneapolis. There was a shooting 
related to this kind of robbery in Washington state. More big smash and grab robberies across Los Angeles County. No shock there. There was, in fact, I saw a local news story in L.A. from NBC that thieves actually robbed a train, stole thousands of packages off of this train, and then just deposited the empty boxes along the train tracks. An actual train robbery. The Wild West imagery is a little too on the nose here. That's what happened in L.A., where the left-wing DA has basically decriminalized a lot of crime. How's that going? Same way it's going in San Francisco and elsewhere. And then there was this horrible story out of Oakland. Oakland, California, Bay Area, hyper-progressive. They tell us, oh, rioting doesn't really matter. These businesses have insurance. These are victimless crimes. It's just property. All of that is nonsense and dangerous in my mind. But when you normalize crime, you get violent crime too. A security guard died Saturday morning after being shot in an attempted armed robbery. He was on assignment, the guard, protecting a news crew that was reporting on robberies. Some thieves came up and tried to steal the camera and the news crew's stuff. This man did his job, and he was shot dead by these criminals. 12.20 p.m. on a Wednesday. He died on Saturday, middle of the day in Oakland, California. Just like, remember, Barbara Boxer, the former senator? She was assaulted and mugged and robbed in the middle of the day in Oakland. That was a few weeks ago. This man is a husband. He is a father. He's a grandfather, and now he's gone, leaving behind that family, doing his job, a former police officer, shot dead, protecting the media. You'd think that might be a bigger media story nationally. Somehow, weirdly, it's not golly. I wonder why. Go back and listen to the last segment. That's why. It's not subtle. Horrible. Rest in peace. When you normalize crime, you get more of it. When you get more crime, people die. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Happy Hour on this Monday from New York City. It's the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free every day. GuyBensonShow.com. Catch me on Gutfeld tonight. I'll be part of the panel. Always a lot of fun. That's 11 p.m. Eastern time on Fox News Channel. And the happy hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is really good. Actually, my dad discovered an amazing application for the Finnish Long Drink. The Black Can, which is the extra long drink with... What, almost 50% more alcohol content? So it's right up producer Christine's alley. You take maybe half a can of the black can on ice, and then you add apple cider, like fresh apple cider, not sparkling. Really good. I was skeptical. I wasn't sure if that mix would quite work. It was awesome, and it became a staple in our house over Thanksgiving long weekend. I may have had a few of those. Let's just say that. 
TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly, he says to himself. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. TheLongDrink.com. We are joined now by Molly Hemingway, senior editor at The Federalist, Fox News contributor, co-author of Justice on Trial, and her latest book is Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. That, of course, is out now at MZ Hemingway on Twitter. Molly, good to have you back. It's great to be here with you, and I totally want to party with your dad. (laughs) Many do. And you'll have a chance to party with others from my family and friend group. This coming weekend, we will be talking more about the Christmas party in home stretches to come over the course of this week. Looking forward to seeing you. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, Our Thanksgiving was great. And on that note, Mark and I are so excited to come to this party, which I think is basically our first party coming out of COVID. Not that we haven't gathered with people, but like an actual party. We're really looking forward to it. It's uh, DC's hottest ticket is going to be this party, in my opinion, many people are saying. So we're looking forward to having you there. Molly, I want to get your take first. On this very interesting piece out yesterday in the New York Times, it's Ben Smith, who is their media columnist. Of course, you would probably point out Ben's role in deciding to publish the entirety of the Steele dossier at BuzzFeed, back when he was at BuzzFeed. He is now at the New York Times, and he wrote a piece about misinformation. The headline, I put that in quotes, the headline is Inside the Misinformation Wars, subhead, Journalists and academics are developing a new language for truth. The results are not always clearer. And he opens with this anecdote about the Hunter Biden laptop and that story. You and I have discussed it multiple times on the air, the way that it was ritually suppressed by the mainstream media, by big tech, the Democratic Party barking out marching orders, the Biden campaign insisting that it was Russian disinformation, a bunch of intelligence community alums signing a letter saying, oh, yes, we agree. All of that was not true. It was actually a bona fide oppo hit and real information about not just President Biden's son, but at the time, candidate Biden himself as well. And the way that Ben Smith frames this in The New York Times yesterday is that, quote, as it now appears, the story about the laptop was an old fashioned, politically motivated, dirty tricks campaign. And describing it with the word misinformation doesn't add much to our understanding of what happened. So the story goes on and on. I don't have time to read all of it, but I just wonder what your take is on this piece. Is the media starting to grapple at all with their misuse of the term misinformation? And if they're trying to grapple with it, is this the way to describe it? Because I'm not really sure. Oh, it turned out it was just an old fashioned bit of political dirty tricks. I'm not sure that that's the headline either, whether or not you think that the term misinformation is useful or not. In this case, I think it was useless and, in fact, deeply misleading, but it's still being downplayed what was on that laptop. Yeah, I don't think that's quite the accurate term, but I would actually like to first, before I condemn him for that, defend Ben Smith for his role in the Russia hoax, because unlike so many other people who peddled the conspiracy theory, he made the decision to publish that dossier and in making that decision enabled most of the country to realize it was totally ridiculous. Now, it is absolutely true that the left and the media and the Democratic Party and a bunch of uh, people that aren't very smart totally took that dossier and ran with it. But when he published it and you could read it, you could see that it was a joke. And so I think he was sort of the unintentional hero of the Russia collusion lies. You know, that's actually let's just let's just stop there for a second, because I think that's really interesting. And it's a little bit off the beaten path of where I was planning to go with this. But I remember there was a lot of fury 
when BuzzFeed under Ben Smith made that decision to publish the dossier in its entirety because it was at the time massively unverified. There were bits and pieces of it that were pretty quickly debunked as untrue. And now all these many months later, so much of it has just completely fallen apart. There were many people, conservatives, who were furious at BuzzFeed and Ben Smith for publishing such a scurrilous and questionable or dubious document. You're saying that ultimately it was probably a favor to President Trump and his defenders because rather than, and this is, I think, an interesting way of thinking about it, rather than just having it go through the filter of the media where they were all looking at it and then describing it in their own ways and sort of very opaque in the way they were describing the salacious details, this at least gave an opportunity for the whole thing to be out in the public sphere where people can read it. People had the opportunity to vet it in their own mind and compare what was in there to you know known facts or lack thereof. And therefore, by getting rid of the filter, it was almost a favor. That's what you're I hadn't really thought of it that way before, but that's interesting. I'm saying and and the um, the thing is, everything you said about it being a bad decision was true, but it was just less bad than the way that the left was or the way that other people were playing around with the dossier. And I think this all does relate to his column because an old-fashioned dirty trick was the Clinton campaign creating this Russia collusion hoax and lies. But that was they, they invented it. They invented it out of certain things like Trump was an international businessman and he wanted to have a better relationship with Russia, but they invented the complete hoax. Whereas the Hunter they Biden thing is also a dirty trick, granted, but it's based in truth. That was actually his laptop. There actually is a Biden family business where you get money from foreign oligarchs in exchange for you know, better policy from the U.S. or more access to people who make decisions in the U.S. And so he's you know, imprecise, like, yeah, it is a, it's a dirty trick to reveal it, dirty trick, whatever you want to say. You know, it's a typical campaign operation to reveal it. But it actually was true. It was never misinformation. It was always his actual laptop. There were always people with actual names attached to it willing to defend it, meaning, you know, the guy, the laptop uh, shop repair owner, Tony Bobolinsky, the guy who said he was an eyewitness to the to Joe Biden talking about the Biden family business. You know, it's very it was much more substantiated than any of the dirty tricks that the left willingly played around with in the years prior. And then the term misinformation was slapped on the whole endeavor, right? The entire story, anyone who wanted to talk about the story, they were sort of ghettoized within the press. The New York Post had their entire Twitter account suspended for days on end because of this alleged misinformation. They brought the Russians back into it saying that they supplied this disinformation. None of that was true. And yet that is the term that gets used all the time. And sometimes we see social media Outlets and social media platforms in an effort to root out so-called misinformation themselves spreading their own half-baked fact checks or even outright misinformation. I feel like that whole experiment isn't going very well, Molly. And Ben at the Times, even though I don't agree with much of the way he's framing this, at least seems to be recognizing that on some level. Right. But it's not just that it happens occasionally. It's very common for the misinformation, meaning deliberate, like withholding of key information or manipulation of the facts that are there. The primary purveyors of disinformation or misinformation right now are members of the corporate media. Of course, they want to control the misinformation, disinformation space. They're the experts at it. It's what they do, sadly, with so much of their um, real estate. And they do it not just on the Russia hoax not just on the Hunter Biden laptop. It's everything from the Kavanaugh confirmation to the Covington scandal to the, you know, Jesse Smollett is having his trial today. Think about how that was handled 
when it first came out. It's just a constant barrage of oh, Rittenhouse? manipulation of information. Right, the Rittenhouse stuff, uh, the suppression of the Waukesha story. I mean, it's the list goes on and on and on. I want to come back to the concept of misinformation. Before we do that, I do want to ask you, Molly, about this new revelation being reported in Miranda Devine's book. I've seen the New York Post is on it. Just more information about the Bidens, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, uh, some sort of a priceless gem, millions of dollars in the offing. What have we learned or what is being alleged now? So the the presence of this $80,000 diamond was first reported, I think, in The New Yorker before, like in 2019. And it was mentioned in one of those like long profiles that are meant to kind of get out all the dirt on Hunter Biden so that it won't be an issue when his father is running for uh, the nomination. And it was just a, it was just an amazing tidbit that was in there. And he claimed it wasn't worth quite so much as $80,000. His ex-wife said it was worth that much because they were battling over it in the divorce settlement. And it was a clear bribe. I mean, the Chinese official gave it to Hunter as a bribe to work together. And um, it was just kind of like one of these things that can you imagine? And I know it gets annoying to talk this way. If any member of the Trump family had taken an $80,000 bribe in the form of a diamond, it would have been lights out for that for that administration. And yet this was just kind of common with Hunter that he was getting gifts, large checks, large, um, large things from people who are foreign oligarchs, very lucrative job offers and, you know, access to money and so-called consulting and all of that stuff. And while I am sure that Hunter is also very fun to party with, probably not as fun as your dad, I don't think he has the skills that would that would make these <laughs> gifts and job offers make sense in any non-corrupt sense. I mean, nobody's hiring Hunter because they think he's got really wise business acumen or that he's particularly useful, except for his access to his father. So this would be something that journalists are just dying to cover and expose and look at because, you know, it's just this is the Biden family business. It's not just Hunter. It's also Joe's brother. It's also nieces. I mean, everyone's kind of getting a cut of the action based on proximity to Joe. Um, this is something that we should have had tons of stories looking at what the policy changes uh, that had happened as a result of this Biden family business or what kind of access had been sold, you know, how that affected the U.S. taxpayer and voter. And yet we didn't get any of that, hardly any of that, I should say. I would like to just state for the record that that is definitely the first time that my father and Hunter Biden have been mentioned in the same breath, I think, in the history of the world. And I want to salute Molly Hemingway for tying those two together. I will just point out that the only thing that my dad cracks is dad jokes. Just for the record, Molly Hemingway, we're up on a break. Let me take it real quick. When we come back, a soundbite that I want to play for you. It is from a Dr. Fauci crony. It's from 2016. To me, it is astonishing. And it plays into this whole theme of, quote unquote, misinformation. We'll get to that straight ahead. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. It's from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show happy hour. My guest, Molly Hemingway. I want to play you a soundbite that I heard for the first time today. I had not heard this ever before until today. It is Peter Daszak from the EcoHealth Alliance, the Dr. Fauci friend and crony who was sort of the middleman in some of this U.S. taxpayer money going to the Wuhan lab and all of this stuff. He was the guy who was thanking Fauci 
for knocking down the lab leak theory and who signed a big letter was spearheading that effort to tell anyone who was even mentioning the lab leak theory that that was crazy town and misinformation and a conspiracy theory, all of that. Here is Peter Daszak, that same guy, at a conference in 2016 talking about his involvement and what was happening involving coronaviruses and bats in China and the sort of research that was being done. This is just about five years ago. This was March 2016, cut 15. Listen to this. Other coronaviruses in bats, a whole host of them, some of them looked very similar to SARS. So we sequenced the spike protein, the protein that attaches to cells. Then we, well, I didn't do this work, but my colleagues in China did the work. You create pseudoparticles, you look, you insert the spike proteins from those viruses, see if they bind to human cells. And each step of this, you move closer and closer to this virus could really become pathogenic in people. So, Molly, uh, I'm not an expert. Some of that is over my head. But that sounds to me sort of smoking gunish. Again, I'm open to experts saying, well, maybe this isn't exactly the same thing, but they've sworn up and down that kind of thing wasn't really happening, and you can't call it you know, gain-of-function research or what have you. That sounded to me like Peter Desick just straight up saying what was happening five years ago. Then we have this huge global pandemic outbreak that's killed millions of people, and the media seems so incurious about the misinformation, which was banned for months, about the lab leak theory, I had not, I'm a pretty well-informed person, I had not heard that soundbite until today. And I am just speechless over that fact. I just want to get your reaction. Had you heard that before today? I think I'd heard that or something similar to that, but it just goes to the point, which is, this is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It is known for doing gain-of-function research on the corona, on coronavirus. It is known for having different strains, but it has published about that. Um, the, the most likely explanation was always an accidental leak from this lab because of who got it initially and how it spread. And that should have been the default you know, assumption as opposed to something that you weren't allowed to talk about. Right. And no matter what the default assumption was, you should always be able to talk about these things. It relates to the previous issue. The best way to combat false information is more information so that you can hash it out and come to a better decision. China locked it down, but so did social media companies. So did other you know, elites that said, you're not allowed to talk about this. And this is something that has cost millions of lives because we're not allowed to talk about what's in all likelihood the actual thing that happened. Right, and they called it misinformation, that word again. And Molly, to me, I cannot think of a bigger story in the world, maybe in my lifetime, than this pandemic. Millions of people dead, so many disruptions, the ripple effects are everywhere. And the origin of this pandemic is still not determined officially, right? We don't have an exact answer on that. And there's been something of a reckoning within the media where they said, oops, that whole misinformation thing on the lab leak thing, maybe that was a little bit of overkill. And they said, okay, let's wash our hands and move on. It is still an open question. This video is still out there. And I have still yet to see many difficult questions asked of this guy or Fauci or any of them from the people who are covering many elements of this pandemic, but apparently not in earnest 
one of the central questions, which is how the hell did this start in the first place? Last word to you, Molly. Just it feels like we're living in a very bad Bond film where the villains are like too cheesy and you think this is so ridiculous that nobody would believe it's actually real. <laughs> but we have had like all of these powerful people engaged in this conspiracy to keep people from communicating, talking, making they make horrible decisions about the best way to handle what is, you know, admittedly a very bad um, you know, global pandemic. And it's just like inescapable. It just seems to keep on going and probably will until people make it clear they've had enough. Yep. And the thing is, when you accuse everyone else of spreading misinformation and engaging in conspiracy theories, when in fact you are the one purveying misinformation and wrongly accusing others of conspiracies, you lose your credibility when it comes to knocking down other things that may in fact be misinformation and conspiracy theories. This is a huge credibility and reliable narrator problem. Molly Hemingway, we've got to leave it there. Senior editor at The Federalist, Fox News contributor. Her latest book is Rigged, available now. Molly, appreciate it. See you soon. Take care. Bye. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. In our first hour today, Dr. Manny Alvarez joined us talking about this new variant of coronavirus and trying to cut through a lot of the panic. It was a good, spirited conversation as usual with Dr. Manny. Here's part of it. All right, let's talk about Omicron, the new variant. Uh, you've got a lot of hand-wringing and people starting to get very worried over the weekend. Uh, I just ran through in my opening monologue what we do and do not know. We don't know a lot of things. What we do know so far doesn't seem as alarming as I think some of the coverage might suggest. What are you reading? What are you hearing from your medical colleagues? What are your overall takeaways thus far about Omicron? Well, listen, my takeaway is uh, I'm, I've been following the data now for the last 48 to 72 hours, uh, looking at the data coming out of Israel, which really is always ahead on these variants. What we know so far is, yes, we don't know a lot, but we know a couple of things. If you look at the cases in South Africa, it seems to be affecting younger population, less than 40. Okay, so it's a, it, it tends to transmit among younger population, which socially tends to be more together in, in, in those kinds of, uh, you know, scenarios. However, uh, nobody has been hospitalized that we can document as of now with this variant. And the, and the description of the symptoms seem to be, you know, somewhat atypical, you know, mild fever, a lot of body aches, recovery in 72 uh, hours or so. So it's not the kind of virus so far that is showing the same virulent effect that we had with Delta. And that speaks volumes to me because uh, it could be that even though you have a mutation, which is about 30 mutations in, in the spike proteins that we're seeing, maybe it's becoming not as strong, more transmissible, like a common cold, but rather not as bad as, let's say, the Delta variant was. We just don't know yet. I think that the vaccine, the data is showing that the vaccine, for those folks that have the vaccine, and the vaccine is kind of a 
fresh, you know, in, in, in sense that if you took it more than six months and you got your boosters and you got your antibodies flowing, that you're going to have protection against this variant. But, you know, not a, a, not a lot of unknowns, but I'm not panicking. Yeah. So it that, that sounds exactly on point with what I've been reading, which is it might be more transmissible. We're not sure. It does not thus far seem to be more virulent. In fact, it might be more mild, which I think would be just excellent news for a lot of different reasons. I want to focus on the vaccine part because people are wondering, will the existing vaccines be as effective, ineffective, somewhat effective against the new variant? It seems like we don't really know yet because there's a lot of unvaccinated people, especially young people in South Africa. When will we have a better understanding of whether because, you know, the Moderna people are saying we're already working on a, a new version of the vaccine, a new booster if we need it uh, against this variant. When will we know if that type of thing will be necessary or if the existing vaccines and natural immunity, you know, work work well? What, what's the timeline on that? What will doctors be looking for when we actually get a, a clearer picture on that? Yeah, I, I think that this coronavirus vaccine is going the same way as the flu vaccine. I think that you're going to have coronavirus um, as an endemic disease. It's just not going to go away completely or ever. Um, it's going to continue to mutate in different variants. I think that the COVID vaccine will become a standard recommended annual vaccine uh, like we have for the flu. I think scientists are going to be looking all the time at different mutations, different variants, and they're going to be tweaking vaccine manufacturing, which is very easy to do now that they have, you know, it's, you know. They That's what they do with the flu shot, formula. right? Every year they do that with the flu shot. Exactly. And they're going to be predicting uh, variants or, you know, monitoring variants and this and that. But it's going to be those kinds of scenarios that it's going to carry the same kind of natural um, flow as the flu vaccine in the future. I think, you know, this is this is here to stay. And and between the natural immunity, the people that, you know, take natural protections and the, the people that get vaccinated and so on and so forth, it, it's going to be a, a chronic virus disease that we'll have in the planet for years to come. Um, but it should not affect the way that we conduct ourselves moving forward. And, and that's why I always get a little concern about all the, you know, manipulation of the news and how it affects the flow of Americans, you know, American life. My full interview with Dr. Manny Alvarez on the Fox Medical Team, available online, GuyBensonShow.com, the podcast free every single day, no charge to you on demand. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch, a review of Thanksgiving, and our resident paranoiac strikes again. We'll explain next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. We are back from the Thanksgiving break. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Our website here, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast free every day. Tune in tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. Gutfeld, I'll be on the panel with Greg and Kat and the crew. Looking forward to that. So we had a smashing success of a Thanksgiving at the Benson House. We were sad that my in-laws couldn't come because of a positive COVID test. Everyone's feeling fine. So it was a smaller group than I typically would prefer. 
I like a very full house, a full table, all of that. But we had five of us. We had a great time. We made far too much homemade cranberry sauce. Like there is a ludicrous amount left over. And it's great because I like putting it on a sandwich with mayo and then various cold cuts or what have you on little Hawaiian rolls. Those leftovers for days are just amazing. But I don't think I can eat enough sandwiches to use up all of this cranberry sauce that's left. But it's amazing, and it's a bright pop of red in the refrigerator. So we'll use it for a while. Should probably check how long it's good for. A couple more days at least. Anyway, one thing that I was thinking about, because we have already cited my father and one of his culinary discoveries, in this case in the beverage department, with the long drink, where he's been mixing long drink with apple cider in the fall, and it really is amazing. In fact, my friends who are trying it, they're like, not only is this delicious, it's dangerous because all it tastes like is a sparkling cider at that point. And you have no concept that there's booze in it. So very autumnal, very delicious. But as we say, drink responsibly because that, that can get you can catch up with you. Another thing that my dad has done over the years, and this I think goes to some people's aversion to Turkey. For example, producer Christine, who did not offer turkey at her Thanksgiving, nor mashed potatoes, which is really criminal. But I think a lot of people associate turkey with tasteless and dry. So why eat that? What my dad does, and he will be very pleased that I'm sharing this with the national audience because he was sharing it with basically everyone he came into contact with, including Uber drivers over the weekend. We went to go see the Christmas Carol at Ford's Theater. On Friday, Christmas lights on in the house, Christmas carol. It's officially Christmas season, everyone. Merry Christmas here. But he was telling our Uber driver about how to prepare a turkey. I'm sure that guy will cling to those tidbits for the next 364 days. But it actually does work. Number one, you brine the turkey. In a big brining bag, there's a solution. There's like uh, like a brining mix that you put in there. And you leave it, I think it's at least overnight, in a cooler to brine. That helps immensely. And then you get one of those V-shaped racks, and you do the first half of the turkey roast upside down with the turkey sort of on its back. And then you baste it regularly. So you have, and of course, some good stuffing in there. So you have the juices from the stuffing, you have the brine, You have the upside-down roast, and then you flip it right side up for like the last maybe 40% of the roast. He was checking it and doing the thermometer thing. He got it. He just nailed it, and it was delicious, tasty, juicy, so good. And that's how we do it in our house, and I think some of the turkey-skeptical people might have changed their mind had they had our turkey is what I'm saying. Now, we were going to do a whole recap here of Thanksgiving and everyone's households over the long weekend from our team. However, there's a new crisis already here at the Guy Benson Show, although the crisis has passed, but there was a crisis. And I'll give you one guess which member of this team was convinced that she had the new variant of coronavirus, right? Because it's in the news. And when this unnamed team member 
hears anything in the news, no matter what she has heard on this show, no matter what the factual information might be, she is a paranoiac and a hypochondriac extraordinaire. So, yes, indeed, producer Christine was convinced today that she has Omicron. When, in fact, there are zero known cases in America. Maybe she's patient zero, but zero known cases. And, Christine, tell us what the symptom was that you interpreted as ironclad proof that you have Omicron. I had a really bad stomach ache. Like, okay. It just... Let me, I, let me stop you right there. How long have we been covering coronavirus on this show? 20 months? Yeah. Do we have a doctor on once, twice a week, every week? Sometimes every day, yeah. Yeah. We've talked about symptoms, right? Right. right. Stomach ache. Is that anywhere near the list of major symptoms on coronavirus that you have ever heard? No, but this is the new variant. So maybe this was a new symptom that we they didn't know about. I mean, don't forget... There were symptoms that we didn't know about. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, this add this to it. So in Cookie's mind, yes, you've got a stomach ache, not a symptom, but might become one because of the new variant. And there are no known cases in America, but she might be the first one. And therefore, stomach ache plus that possibility equals I've got this thing. And you made multiple phone calls. Well, and also, I felt a little off in my head. Please don't make a joke right there. Please. I was going to say, how could you tell the difference? That sounds par for the course. So you called Bobby, your husband, yes. at work. Uh, yeah, he was at work. I was walking to work. And how did that go? He told me he did not have time for this. And he said he knew it was coming eventually, but he, he said, I am at work. I do not have time for this. Did he hang up? He hung up. He hung up on you. So that's the correct response, by the way. Then you called... Quiet Wyatt. I did. Wyatt, when did this happen? What was your reaction? Uh, it was earlier this morning, and I told her that I would bet her money that she definitely does not have COVID. Or certainly not this variant. Was she panicked? Um. Yeah, I would say so, yep. <laughs> did, she, um, did she give you any instructions at the end of this phone call? Not that I could recall, no. Oh, she didn't She didn't tell you not to tell me about the phone call? I don't recall. Okay, thanks, James Comey. <laughs> I don't recall. And then um, after that phone call, I did walk over to Dan. So you're just telling everyone about your concern. Quietly. Quietly. Because I don't you, want to cause a panic in the newsroom. And you didn't, well, there's one panic and it's one person. No one else has the panic. Because it's just you. You did, in fact, for the record, tell Wyatt not to tell me. I sure did. And then you let it slip anyway. So I'm like, well, this is our new home stretch today. So you then tell Dan about your deep concern that Omicron has afflicted you specifically because of this uh, stomach ache. And Dan, you asked, my understanding is a fairly sensible question here. Well, I first asked, have you eaten today? And because that's a huge thing. And how much coffee have you had while not eating today? Uh -huh. So that could create a stomach ache. And she said, I haven't eaten and I've had a lot of coffee. So I said, go try something to eat and I think you'll feel better. Did it ever occur to you, Christine, that drinking a lot of coffee and eating nothing might be more likely to cause a stomach ache 
than this variant from South Africa that we don't know is even here in the country yet, for which stomach aches are not a known symptom at all. No, no, it didn't cross my mind. I, I laser focus. Right. I have right. So like just locked in. Yeah, I, there was really no other answer. So when he said that though to you, the food thing, did you think, oh, well, that might make sense. Yeah, I forgot I was fasting because I'm I'm back to intermittent fasting. Um, yeah, I needed to lose a little too much booze. Had to lose weight. It's too quick much. As, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just stuffing. Yes. So I forgot I hadn't eaten since probably five or six last night, and mm-hmm. I did have coffee. So I said, "Oh, Dan, I think you're on to something." So did you go get lunch or something? Or yeah, breakfast? I felt like a new person. <laughs> I had soup and I felt great. <laughs> so I don't think I have anything. I think I'm fine. Oh, thanks, doctor. The new diagnosis is in. She was hungry. What is this weird sensation in my stomach? It must be the new COVID. Yeah, but the thing is, I I fast. And Dan's like, have some soup. And then you're like, oh, wait, this worked. And I did tell him, right? I came back and said, Dan, I feel great. That Actually, is true. she did. So congratulations, Dan. I've realized now that I have missed a huge opportunity. And that opportunity, I wonder if I can sort of almost have a mulligan and try it anyway. What if I agree with you, Christine, that you do have Omicron? Or at least you might. And you can't be too safe And therefore, you might want to skip the Christmas party this coming weekend because there's going to be a lot of people around. We don't want you to be a super spreader with your stomach ache, COVID. So maybe you just to stay on Isor Lane. It's for everyone's good. It's for really public health. How about that? I'd feel I'd feel fabulous in a minute if that had just a miraculous recovery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh I'm not missing. This party. Oh, don't say that too confidently. There are still a few days left for something to go wrong. I already but, have my outfit. I, so this is something that I want to ask you about. We're getting lots of requests now about the dress code. There were some things that we omitted, apparently, from the Evite. And we don't have time to get into it today. But over the course of the week, we're going to be building the anticipation for what I am calling the event of the year, which is our Christmas party. It is back After a year hiatus due to COVID, the list of people is getting kind of long. I can't believe you invited me. You told me some names there and I'm in shock. Yeah, I'm I'm like, it's like with the wedding too. It's like, I I just don't learn my lesson. I'm so excited for our party. So our party, here we go. Well, we'll be discussing, quote, our party over the course of the week because Curious Christine has all sorts of questions. She's made a full recovery from her non-existent Omicron by having some soup because she hadn't eaten in like 18 hours. That one was uh, handled by Dr. Dan over here. And I will remember the I don't recall weaselly slippery evasion there from Quiet Wyatt. That has gone not unnoticed back in D.C. Very impressive, Wyatt. Very impressive. I'm in New York for Gutfeld tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern, Fox News Channel. We will see you there. Back here tomorrow on the radio, same time, same place, for The Guy Benson Show. Hi, 
everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.